I'll try again. Oh, there we go. Please feel free to finish those conversations afterwards. I want to introduce you to my, my new friend. Um, this is Vini. Does anyone know the name of this, this proper scientific name? It's not a tree. Don't be so silly. That's not a proper scientific name. Anyone know the proper scientific name of it? No agriculturists or gardeners? No? It's, it's Veni or Vini vinifera. That's its proper scientific name. Does anyone else know what, it, what that actually means? Veni vinifera? It's a grapevine, yeah. It's a grapevine. I wanted to bring it here because I got it yesterday. I persuaded Fiona to buy me it for two reasons. One, because we're talking about a passage where Jesus talks about vines. But two, I've always wanted a grapevine. I just think it's a great thing to have. I'm really fascinated by how the vines change the world. And it's funny because we're so divorced from our food and stuff. We don't really have a feel for where food comes from, how it's made, all that sort of stuff. And do you know what really helps when you read the New Testament? If you just know a little bit of the background, it can change everything. When I was at university as a, as a zoology student, I remember one of my professors who definitely an irreligious man, and he was doing domestication of animals, and we were looking at how sheep and goats were domesticated, how they were brought for human use. And I remember he, he flashed up a picture of Jesus separating the sheep from the goats, and he was quite pompous about it, and he said, you know, and of course, <laughs> very funny this, because there's no way that Jesus could have separated the sheep from the goats, because you don't know in, in that country the difference between a sheep and a goat until they're dead, and you have to look at their skull. And the only way you can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat is that there's a Y-shaped suture on one of them, and there's a T on the other. And he said, so Jesus couldn't have told them apart. And of course, it, it dawned on me then why Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats and separating them. Because in life, you don't know who's saved and not saved until they're dead. We don't. Jesus does, though. And I went up to him afterwards and said, thank you very, very much. I understand that Bible verse. I didn't understand it beforehand, but you really, really helped me. And he was quite shocked. But just that little bit of background, I didn't know that in the Middle East, sheep and goats were the same. And I missed what Jesus' original hearers heard. So let me tell you a bit about vines. I am a biologist. I'm a marine biologist. This is not marine. If this is marine, then it's in trouble. Vine, very, very old, cultivated from almost 5,000 years ago. If we would have been in Palestine, Israel at the time of Jesus, we'd have saw these everywhere, absolutely everywhere. First of all, they would have them in fields, but where they grew, you had a person who would look after them. Now, I'm not talking about someone who just went along and did a bit of gardening, a vine dresser. Someone who was a vine dresser would get plants like this, plant them in the ground, plant them the right distance apart, because if they're too close to one another, the grapes don't, are not terribly good. If they're too far apart, you don't get enough of them. He would build a wall around them as well with stones, a massive wall. And then having done that, he would put a sort of lookout post where you would build a tower, not a very big tower, but a tower out of rocks. So a pretty big deal to have a, a, a bit of a vineyard. Having done that, the vine dresser would then spend all of his time 
dressing the vine, making sure that everything was okay, nothing was damaged. But each vine he had to look after really, really carefully. He knew just exactly how much water. He knew exactly where to prune. Because this thing, since we bought it yesterday, I mean, it's difficult to believe, but since we bought it yesterday, these bits have grown just overnight. This thing goes wild. It goes absolutely wild. And one of the problems with it is, because it does go wild, you have to cut, and you have to know where to cut, or it doesn't produce good fruit. So a wine dresser is not just someone who comes along and hacks plants, but someone who knows exactly where to cut. And what he, because it was predominantly he in those days, would do was he would look for the parts that he would think would not produce much fruit, wouldn't produce grapes, and he'd cut them off, knowing fine well that if he got that right, that expert job right, the grapes that came out were absolutely beautiful, really tasty, lovely grapes. They could be used just for eating, or they could be used to make wine. And so, a vine dresser was actually someone who not just was expert, but spent a long, long time making sure this was spot on. A whole life dedicated to making sure that these plants were spot on to eat or to, or to drink. As well as in the vineyards, what some people did was they would actually plant these vines outside their house. So they would grow over the, 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 the door of the house, which meant that as you were walking in or out your door, and if it was the right season, you'd just pick some grapes and eat them as you were going in. And so in the time of Jesus, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be unknown, not just for there to be vineyards, but all around the place, particularly in people's houses, to decorate them, you'd have a vine. Just like this. In fact, it's the same species. Exact same species as the one that Jesus would have seen. So that's a little bit of, of agricultural history for you. Let me tell you a little bit about the history of Israel that we need as well before we listen to, to Jesus. Everyone knew what vines were. They knew that they produced fruit. They knew it was hard work to produce fruit. All the way through the Old Testament, God's record of his dealing with people before Jesus who lived in Israel and Palestine and Syria and around there, constantly the Israelites were referred to as a vine. God loved talking about them as if they were a vine that he had planted. And you can go through all the prophets, all the people that God sent to talk to Israel, and they all talk about Israel being a vine. But you know, every single instance where God talks about Israel being a vine, it's usually in a negative way. You can go through and check yourself all the way through the, the prophets. And each time, for instance, there's a guy called Isaiah, and he says, Israel, you're a vine, but you produce bad fruit. And by that, he meant the oppressed, the poor. It meant that they thought only of themselves. They thought of a bit of luxury, all those sorts of things. And so Isaiah says, you're, you're a vine, but you produce bad fruit. And all the way through, the Israelites, God saying to them through the prophets, you are like a vine, but I tell you, when I go to you, your fruit's rubbish. There's just nothing that's worthwhile there. Absolutely nothing worthwhile there. And that goes right the way through up into the time of Jesus. So remember that. Remember about the vine, the vine dresser, and what I've told you about pruning. Remember that the people who are going to listen to Jesus say the words we're going to read knew that Israel was called the vine by God but they always produced bad fruit. So, if you've got a Bible, you can go to John chapter 15. If you, if you want to follow it on the screen, you can. There are Bibles in the pews, and it's page one, um, 1083. 
We're going to read chapter 15, verses 1 to 25. Now, one of the problems with, with our Bible is that someone's put chapters and verses in, which is quite nice for finding your way around, but there weren't chapters and verses when John wrote this. And so we need one little line from beforehand. Don't worry, David. I'll just read it out. We just need one little line beforehand, which is the last verse of what's our chapter 14. Jesus talks to his disciples. He's saying to them, I'm going to go away. I'm going away, but I'm going to leave you someone, the Holy Spirit, who will be me to you. Through him, I'll come and live in you. And then you have this little verse, come, come now, let us leave, says Jesus. Come now, let us leave. And then he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener or the vine dresser. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. Why? So that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will stick around. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my, in my name. This is my command. Love each other. And if the world hates you, keep in mind, they hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. 
They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. Let's just pray quickly. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that just now by the Spirit of Jesus that you would communicate to us, that you would talk directly to us, and that we would know not just what you said to your disciples 2,000 years ago in that, in that room, but what you're saying to us now. Please, Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our minds, and open our hearts that we might see Jesus, that we might know Jesus for the first time or just, just better and better and better. Please help us. We're not terribly good at this, Lord. Amen. The reason that God chose Israel was as an instrument to show his love on earth. He, and he tells us that in the Old Testament. He chose Israel because he wanted Israel to be a light to the nations. He wanted them to be holy. Now, what does that mean, walk around like this? No, he wanted them to be different. He wanted them to reflect him. Reflect him and tell the nations, everyone around about, how good God was. But the nation of Israel thought, God loves us. God hates you. They just didn't get it right. And they kept on bearing bad fruit. Israel were God's, was God's way of trying to say to the world, I love you. He wanted the Israelites to let people know, I love you and I want you to be like me. And the Israelites didn't get that. And so here's these, these guys, and they're quite ordinary guys, maybe some women there as well, sitting, and Jesus says, first of all, come now, let us leave. Now, I often wondered why John put that in there, because he might be just recording history, but it's a bit of an odd thing to say. But I can imagine them all sitting around this table, and they've been talking. And Jesus says, now let's leave. And as he's going out, there's one of them, probably around the door, or maybe there's a vineyard outside. I don't know. But it's a bit strange. He says, come, let us leave. And then all of a sudden, he starts talking about a vine. And you can imagine it, isn't it? Because it's quite imposing. You know, you get up, you walk outside, and seeing a vine, it must have set off so many thoughts in Jesus' head. And he said, not just I am the vine, but I am the true vine. I'm the real vine. I'm the real deal. Now think of those guys who have been brought up, guys and girls brought up, thinking that Israel was the vine. And Jesus' words, the last time he says, I am, in John's gospel, which is the voice of God, I am the true vine. I'm the real deal. I am what Israel should have been, but wasn't. Jesus is the vine and he was planted on earth to bear fruit. And that's exactly what he did. He bore fruit by living for three years, showing God, dying on a cross, and coming alive again, that every single one of us who believe in him can have eternal life and will not die. That's fruit. That's something substantial that's made from a, a, a human life. 
Human, divine, yes. But Jesus was the man who was God on the cross and the fruit of his life is that you and I don't have to die. We don't have to be destroyed. That we can live knowing God. That all the wrong things that make your life a misery get wiped out because of Jesus. That's the fruit of a life lived for God. Did you notice all the way through that, that passage? You know, he keeps on talking, he keeps on saying, my father does this, and I imitate him. My father does this, my father does this. He is showing God. He is God on earth. He is God with us. He is the true vine that bears fruit, and that fruit means you and I can live rather than die. That's brilliant news. But it even gets better. Verse 5, I'm the vine, I'm that true vine, but you, any of you here who is a Christian, you're one of the branches. And you look at this, Jesus, I'm the vine. You can imagine him there, I'm the true vine. Oh, you, 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 you're the branches. Now, you can come up here and you can tell me, where does the branch begin and where does the vine begin? You'd be really hard pu pushed to find the, the difference. Now, is that a branch? I don't know. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's there. Not quite sure, really. Just think, the people he's talking to are not great intellectuals. They're just ordinary people, you and I. And he said, I'm the vine, you're like the branches. And they can see it in front of them. And it's difficult to see where the branch begins and where the, the so-called vine, the branch is the vine. Can you see what Jesus was saying? Not just was he the vine that bore perfect fruit, but he was saying that when you believe in him, that the relationship that he has with you because of his death on the cross and his resurrection is as close as the twigs and the leaves and everything here with the rest of the body. You can't take it apart. It's a vine. The branches, it's difficult to see where they're going. Come up and see afterwards. And Jesus said, that's what you're like. That's how close we are. This is not a God who sits in heaven and decides your life stinks. Smite on his big keyboard, electronic keyboard. Smite. Don't like him. Shum. Don't like her. Shum. This is a God who says, when I come to earth and die and rise again, because of that, you and I are going to be so intimately joined it's like a vine with its branches. That's beautiful. And for those of you who are Christians, that must delight your heart. Or if not, wake up. This is brilliant. Our Savior is saying that it's so close, you can, you can barely see where one begins and the other doesn't. That's amazing. Ordinary people like you and I are the branches of the vine that is Jesus. So intimately involved with one another. Just absolutely amazing. Where are the branches? The Father is the vine dresser. The Father is the person who comes and looks after. Now, I've already told you about the vine dresser. This is not just some person that comes with a watering can. This is someone who spends ages and ages making this work. Jesus pictures himself as a vine. He pictures his Father as the person who's making sure that that vine is producing fruit and producing fruit and producing fruit. It's not just Jesus, but it involves you and I. How does the vine produce good fruit? 
because some parts have to be cut off. Some bits need to be cut off because they don't produce fruit. And if you take them off, it does produce fruit. Some people have, have used Jesus' words here as a way of saying, if you're not a good Christian, God comes along with the big scissors, cuts you off. You have to be really, really careful. And I know that some people might believe that here. I'm not sure that that's a right way of taking it. For me, what it means is here you have a vine. Jesus is the vine. The idea that cutting off bits of, bits of the vine you know, and, 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 and cutting people off, is not, I don't think it's there. I think it's, what is there is, what do you do, what does God do to make sure that we produce good fruit? Why do I say that? Because later on, Jesus says, I tell you this to frighten the living daylights out of you. No, he doesn't. He says, I tell you this so that you might have joy. Now, let's face it. If, hey, this is this person. Oh, <laughs> this is this person. Oh, cut them off. I don't know. That doesn't sound very joyous, particularly if, if my name's there. Jesus told his disciples that because they wanted to be joyful. What's so joyful? It means that even although you have to cut, and even although this thing looks as if it's damaged, I mean, I remember once Fiona cutting my hair. I had very long hair, and by the time she finished, I didn't have very long hair. And it was a dreadful experience, a real severe pruning. And when you watch a vine dresser and someone who knows what they're doing, once they start cutting, and you just have to watch this even today and you think, oh, no, don't do that. Oh, I wouldn't cut that. Oh, my goodness, I wouldn't cut that. And it's fairly, it looks brutal. But this person is not out to inflict pain on innocent plants. This person wants that vine to be the best at producing fruit possible. And he or she will look very, very carefully for the bits that are just not, not working, the bits that the plant can actually do without. The question is, in you and I's lives, if we're Christians, what bits can we do without? What bits are there? We might even call them religious bits, but in fact are sapping strength and sapping energy, sapping resource, and taking you away from bearing fruit. Now, for me, that's what Jesus' disciples took. Because he'd already told them they were in for times of trouble. And you can see here, he says, the world hates you. Don't worry, it's hated me first. They know that tough times are coming. Pruning is coming. Cutting is coming. But it's not there to hurt them. It's not there to damage them. It's there so there might be fruit. What sort of fruit are we actually talking about? Well, in here... It's quite easy, it's grapes. And you can actually see them if you come up, you can see the beginnings of the, of the grapes here. The fruit in Jesus' life is a life that is lived that reflects God, is a life that lived and is given so that you and I could live even though we're supposed to die. What does our fruit look like? Well, again, you can go back to the Old Testament, you can talk about the times where God said, you weren't fruitful, Israel. Why? Because you turned your back on me. You didn't do good fruit because you said one thing with your mouth and your body did something else. You didn't bear good fruit, Israel, because actually you cheated. Your bankers, the equivalent of bankers then, got the interest wrong, would use false weight, would, would con people out of money. That was bad fruit. There's a whole load of bad fruit. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, talking about good fruit, 
he was saying, Israel was sent to be God and the love of God on earth. And they didn't do it. They just said, oh, I'm loved by God. <laughs> You're not. I'm loved by God. Jesus didn't do that. Each time Jesus said, I am loved by the Father, the Father loves me. And because of that, you're loved as well. The very opposite of the, the, what the Israelites did. And it means when we bear fruit, fruit is showing the character of God. Now, are you up for that? I've got a great plan. There's 50 things you can do this week, and I'll give you a tick list, and we'll tick them off as you get them, okay? Is that all right? And then we can be the, the holiness of God. Now, I don't know if you noticed about a plant, but this thing just grows. It's growing already. Living things grow. When, you, when you're a, a branch, you don't decide whether you're going to grow or not. No plant, no, none of these can say, oh, actually, you know, I've, I've not been very good today. I've not taken up a lot of water. I must confess my photosynthesis is a bit down. I don't think I'll grow today. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. If it's part of the plant, it grows. You, it's difficult to stop it. I probably could. I could kill thing, living things really easily. But you have to, you can't make things grow. Think, living things grow. If you're a Christian and you're abiding with Jesus, as he says, if you're part of him, if you really are as close to him as the branches to the rest of the vine, you will grow unless you choose otherwise. Because living things grow. Notice that Jesus says, that apart from me, you can do nothing. Yesterday, I mean, it was a bit hard. I tried my pruning, and I took this off. And I'll pass it round, because that's what it looks like 24 hours after one of the branches is removed from the vine. And it's shriveled, and it's dirty looking, and it's destroyed, and it's fairly filthy, just looking at it. And Jesus said that if you're not part of me, if you're not part of the vine, you can't do anything. And it's even worse than that because if you're not a Christian, you're not, you, were, you were never connected to the, the vine. And you're trying to live your life, like this little thing here, trying to live its life down here, not connected to the source of life. Jesus is the source of life in the same way as this whole vine is the source of life for each of these. And human beings love the idea of being little bits of living material which batter our own way, trying to live without being connected to the source of life, who is Jesus himself. And how do you end up? Now, you might look fine. You might look great. But that's the way you end up. Shriveled and worthless and lifeless. That is not the doing of a God who wants you to be part of Jesus, wants you to find life in Jesus Christ. So, if that's what your life feels like just now, I'll pass it around and let you see it. You can come up and see it. If that's what your life feels like just now, it doesn't have to be that way. You were made to be part of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died and rose again so that he could be closer to you than anyone on earth. In fact, even more than that, he said he would come and live inside you, live his life out. Is that something you want? And for those of us who have forgot that we're branches and forgot that our life depends on the whole vine, try harder. 
the wrong way, isn't it? Our life comes from God. Everything is dependent on Him. Living things grow. If you have a living relationship with the living God, you will grow. Without your 10-step plan, without your 12-step plan, they might be great. They might be fantastic, but it's no substitute for having the life of Jesus flowing through you. Deciding, I'm going to do this, great willpower, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to really show the Lord. He doesn't want you to show him. He wants you to be part of him. He died and rose again that he could live not just with you, but actually in you. Jesus is looking for people who will bear fruit. Religious people, people who are trying to do it on their own, tend to bear bad fruit, which hurts and damages. Anyone who is in Christ, part of the vine, will produce good fruit, although there's pruning. And pruning hurts. I'm not sure if it hurts the plant or not. I mean, I would love to do experiments to see if it, you get little screams from the plant or not. It'd be a bit scary though, wouldn't it? It'd scare you out of being a vine dresser. But certainly, pruning in our own lives, allowing God to take out the parts that are worthless, where there's no fruit, where there's bad fruit, is actually quite painful. Why do most of us settle for second best, even as Christians? Because we're not keen in God coming in and sorting out the bits that are not great. And yet, God's intention for us is to be growing a live part of him. That's for the fruit. So what's the result of bearing fruit? What's the result of allowing the life of Jesus to flow into you and through you? It tells you. In fact, the whole passage tells you. The first thing is it tells you that a relationship with Jesus is one of intimacy. This is not some God who's going to be nasty to you and every time you get it wrong, don't do that, smash. This is a God who lives alongside you and is a best friend. Have you ever been with a best friend who's told you when you're doing something wrong? It hurts like nothing else. It really does. But isn't it amazing that someone cares enough to do that? That's our God. He's not looking for a big stick. He is alongside. And even though the process can be painful, he is there and in us. There's real power. You can do nothing without me. How many churches, how many of us try to live as if we really have the power to do anything? Do you know how difficult it is to love? It's, I mean, within the family, sometimes it can be, I mean, my wife Fiona is wonderful. My children are amazing, aren't they, Ellie? But how hard it can be sometimes even within a family to love one another. What is it like when you come up against people who not only are not part of your family, are not, but, but are really not nice people? And God says, love your enemies. Oh, really? Yeah, good thought, but get real. The only way you can do that sort of thing is by being part of the vine and having the life of God flow through you. Otherwise, it is impossible. And the religious people are right. You can't do that. Nice thought, Jesus, but you can't do it. Being part of the vine, you can do things that you are really surprised and that leads on to the next part, answered prayer. Notice the number of times it said, if you are intimately related to me in this way, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Now, for those of you who are thinking, Maserati, <laughs> you know, a nice holiday somewhere. The thing is that the leaf is, is intimately connected to everything here. Its whole life depends 
on the whole organism. Once you know that you're a branch in Jesus' divine, his life flows through you, his thoughts flow through you, everything, and you find it in your prayer life, you're beginning to pick up a family likeness. Might be really slow, might be really painful, but you pick up a family likeness and you find yourself not praying as a way of twisting God's arm, but as alongside someone who knows you and knows you well, and you find that your prayers change. If you don't believe me, try it. Just try for a week. Being with God, spending time with God, and talking to Him, spending time in His presence, and your prayers will change. It's no longer trying to twist His arm. There's no arm twisting here. And this is real. Whatever you pray for in my name, being part of the vine, I will give you. Because the thing is, your heart and the heart of God are in the same direction. Verse 11 absolutely beautiful. I mean, I just, I just find this amazing. Why does Jesus give this illustration? So many people make this into a cruel thing. I'm the vine. If you don't get fruit, you're out of there. And Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that you can have my joy. So that you can have my joy. Have you any idea what joy looks like? Most of us live fairly joyless lives because we put ourselves at the center of it. Because we're the little bit of this and we think, can do it on my own. It's about me. Christian stuff is all right, but you've got to look after number one because no one else will. That's a shriveled leaf. Someone who is part of Jesus looks to Jesus first and foremost, then to others, and then to themselves. Jesus, J. Others, O. Yourself, Y. You do that, you show your Jesus, you show your Jesus's, and you get joy. You can't buy joy in the shops. You can't even go out to have it. You can't get a computer game that you know is going to give you joy. Joy only comes as a byproduct from forgetting about yourself, looking first and foremost to God, and looking to other people. As soon as you get stuck in yourself, that's the way you end up. And Jesus knows that, and he says that. Be part of me. Let my life flow through you. You look towards other people, and the joy will just well up as you realize it's God first, others second, then it's you. And again, something that will delight your heart if you're a Christian, that by doing that, by bearing fruit, by allowing the life of Jesus to go through you, it says the Father is glorified. Why do we sing songs in church? Why do we pray? Why do we do that stuff? Is it just to sort of make us feel good? You know, various endorphins are released when you, when, when you sing, and it gives you a good feeling. We do not sing to give ourselves a good feeling. When we sing, it's a way of making sure that we all together can say, God, you're amazing. You're our God, and we thank you for saving us, and we glorify you. That's what we do in words. That means very little unless your life is living in a glorifying way to God. The most powerful thing on earth, nothing can touch it, is a group of people, however small, a group of people whose lives are glorifying to God because they're part of Jesus Christ coming together to worship him. There's nothing like it. Nothing touches it on earth. Absolutely nothing. And we always settle for second best. We always settle for this rather than this. And just in case you think this is all, all, all wonderful, 
you know the other thing? You will start to come to resemble Jesus. And because of that, the world outside will hate you. Simple, straightforward, another, pre- another promise here. Jesus came and bore good fruit in a way that Israel didn't. He lived the perfect life. He did absolutely everything right. And what did the guys with the theological degrees or the business people do, or even some of the ordinary people, what did they do? They said, away with him. We don't want him. Living the life of Jesus doesn't mean that everyone's going to gather around and say, you're just amazing. If you truly live the life of Jesus, there will be some people who will be really upset, not necessarily at you, but because they see Jesus in you. And there are people who do not want to be part of the vine, who are implacably opposed to God, and if they see Jesus, their reaction is to destroy him. It happened 2,000 years ago. It's happening just now in Iraq. It's happening just now in various African countries. And it even happens in this country. If you look like Jesus, you'll be treated like Jesus. And yet Jesus still says joy. This whole thing, this whole idea is about God placing a community on earth to show his love. We're here to bear fruit. We are here to show his love. We're not here to say, I'm wonderfully saved and thank you, God. Those horrible people outside, or look at some of those horrible people you're bringing into the church. Just keep them not so, cl- not so close, God. No. We are called to bear fruit, to be like Jesus Christ. We are called to glorify God in our lives, not through trying harder, but by being close to our God, spending time praying, spending time reading, not because it's a discipline. I mean, for those of you who are in a long-term relationship of any sort, the idea that, oh, I must talk to that person, oh, it's a dreadful way of doing things. Oh, goodness, I've got my Bible study with God again. Oh, my goodness. What sort of relationship is that? What's going on in you and I's head when we do that? Fiona and I have been married for 34 years. And I'll tell you something. 34 years is nothing to start getting to know someone. We're now, we're now beginning to start to get to know one another after 34 years. And we talk. I mean, it's not as if we got married and then we haven't said anything. 34 years is tiny just to get to know one other human being. The living God comes to you and I in Jesus Christ and says, I know you perfectly and I want you to know me. I want you to be so close to me that you'll let branches in a vine and you can spend the rest, not just of your life, but the rest of eternity getting to know me and we can have that relationship because that's what you're made for. That's why these words are really exciting. Said right on the eve of Jesus being murdered. Right on the eve of those disciples being scattered everywhere and they think their life has ended. And Jesus is saying to them, no, no, I'm the true vine. And we are going to be God's love on earth. And people will see me because of you. This passage is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So my only challenge to you is, well, two challenges. One, are you sitting here 
And actually, there's a living, there's a living life called Jesus Christ that you've got nothing to do with. Absolutely nothing to do with. And you're wondering why you don't feel alive. You're wondering why you just feel defeated all the time. Jesus Christ died, says John 3.16, God so loved the world and gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him would not die, would not perish, but would have eternal life. That's one challenge. If you want to be part in a relationship with Jesus, you can do that tonight. You can do that tonight. You just ask him to come alongside and he'll do that. Some of you, which one are you? Are you that one? Or are you that one? Which one are you? That one or that one? You don't have to be like this. This is not God's plan for you. And I don't care how much you've screwed up. I don't care how much you've done it wrong. I don't care how much of it's your fault. This is not God's plan for you. This is God's plan for every single person in this room that we are grafted into Jesus Christ and have the life of Jesus running through us. Let's pray. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, said Jesus. Remain in my love. I am the vine. And you are the branches. If a man or woman or child remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But without me, that person can do nothing. This is to my Father's glory. Oh, Lord God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit just now would be coming in, not just convicting us, but for those of us who just need to know that we are part of you and that you love us and that your life flows through us, and it's the most amazing thing, and we've forgotten that. Oh, please, Holy Spirit, draw near and talk to our hearts and minds, and let us know that you love us, and that your presence is there, and that we are the branches, and you are the vine. And Lord, for the people here who don't have a clue what it means to be connected to you, that don't have a clue that Jesus has died for them and has risen again for them for a new life rather than a dead life. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and convict and change minds. I pray for anyone in here tonight who doesn't know Jesus, that by the time that we finish, that the Lord Jesus has drawn alongside and they are as close to him as the leaves and the branches are to the rest of the vine. For those of us who feel really, really shriveled and lifeless, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in power and the power that raised Jesus from the dead and bring life and forgiveness and wholeness, the very life of Jesus, to that life. Hear our prayers, Lord. We say this not to make ourselves feel nice, but because you tell us that this is true. And we trust you. For those of us who find it hard to trust you, we ask that you give us the gift of trusting you even now. Hear and answer those prayers, please. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.